Well, man, it's good to see you. Summer's here. Uh, it's great to get the year started off. Summertime started off. Looking for a great summer. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're so glad you're a part of what we have going on. You watching online, we appreciate you as well. Thanks to the guys for filling in these last couple of weeks while I did not preach. And uh, summer's a great time. Last year, we didn't really get summer. And this year, I can tell you on the staff part, we're excited about it. Vacation Bible School starts next week. We're excited about that. We have camps this year, children's camp, youth camp. We got the mission trips we got, we got going on. We got the Wet and Wild. You need to get your tickets to Wet and Wild. I promise you it's going to be both wet and wild. So it'll be good. And, uh, you know, we got the back-to-school bash. got the deep fry. Every summer, I, I kind of do a, a special summer series kind of through either a book of the Bible, like I've done in the First Peter or Hebrews, uh, or I do a section, you know, like a, a cohesive unit, like the Sermon on the Mount of the Ten Commandments last year. I did uh, John 13. And uh, this year I'm going to do uh, the book of Jude. Jude is a rather short book. You can probably read it in about 10 minutes, 15, 20 at the outset. You get past 20, I don't know what to tell you. Call me, you need another version, bigger print or something. You know? It's not a hard book to read at all, but, but it, it's such an insightful book. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to come to the first two verses and the last two verses to give me really what I think is the theme uh, of the book of Jude, and it's all about Jesus. And that's really what it's about. The book of Jude, it, Jude would tell you, it's, it's life is all about Jesus. And in just a minute, I'll get to the scripture passage, but what I want to do now is just share with you what I hope you will get out of this message. But more than just this message, that's what I hope you will get out of the entire series, and it's this. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you must live like a follower of Jesus. <clears throat> Your life is all about Jesus. When you claim to be a Christian, when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm a believer, however you word it, then your life better be all about Jesus because that's what you're claiming. That's what it means to be his followers. What you have here is a letter, and, and you kind of begin letters certain ways. If, if you write letters today, and I realize we're in an era where not many people write letters anymore, but if you write letters, we normally write you know, dear so-and-so or to so-and-so, then we'll put the content in the letter, and then we end it uh, sincerely or you're surely or we love you or in Christ or however you end the letter. So you have who it's written to, the message to the letter, and then the who wrote it. But in, in biblical times, they wrote differently in the Greek world. At the very beginning, they would tell you who wrote the letter, who they wrote it to, and they would give a salutation or, or a greeting or a prayer of some sort, especially if it was a, a Christian letter. And Paul does that, and Jude kind of does it the same way. And so in the first part of the first verse, we learn something about who wrote this letter. It says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, Jude is a very common name. It's short for Judas, like Thomas, short for Thomas. And uh, you know, we normally think of Judas in somewhat negative tone. We think of Judas who betrayed Jesus. But Judas was like one of the two or three most popular names around. And there were a lot of people named Judas. And it just so happens that one of the guys named Judas, or called Jude, was, was the brother of Jesus. Now, you know, this guy doesn't describe himself as the brother of Jesus. There were lots of, well, there were several Judases or Judes in, in, in the New Testament. But one we know of was the brother of Jesus. Because in Mark chapter 6, we're told that Jesus had brothers, James. Simon, or Joseph actually was next, then Judas and Simon. He had four brothers, a couple of sisters. This Jude we know is one of them, and part of this is how he describes himself. He says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. So he's, first of all, he's saying, Jesus is my master, Jesus is my Lord, I'm a follower of Jesus. <clears throat> but then to identify which of the Jews he, he might be, and they probably already knew this, he just said, I'm, I'm the brother of James. You know, we, we have like first names, middle names, last names, you know, my name's David. You know, Burroughs, some of you, especially if you're from the South, you may have multiple names. 
uh, you know, four or five names that go with it. Southern people have like double names and double double names. You know, you have a lengthy name. And back then, they didn't have all that. It was like they had a name, and it might be I'm, I'm so and so, I'm the son of so and so, or I'm from a certain place. Jesus was Jesus. The Nazarene, from Nazareth. You need more than that. He was the son of Joseph and Mary. And so this Jew, to describe himself, says, I'm the brother of James. Now, everybody would understand who that James is. Even though James is a common name, and there's several Jameses in the Bible, they would know that this is the James that is also the brother of Jesus, who led the church at Jerusalem for a long time, who actually wrote a book that bears his name. I mean, these guys are siblings. So he says, I'm James' brother. Now, the brothers of Jesus, it's important to know, did not believe in Jesus at first until after the resurrection. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to James. We would assume he appeared to his other brothers as well. These guys didn't believe. We know from from Mark chapter 3 they didn't believe. We know from John chapter 7 that the brothers didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. But later on they did. James who became the leader of the church of Jerusalem, most likely died about the same time that Paul was in his first Roman imprisonment when he wrote Ephesians and Colossians and those books. James was uh, uh, killed by the the, the Jews in Jerusalem. And probably, church history tells us, the early church fathers tells us, that the grandkids of Judas actually came in line after James to lead that church. So these people would know who these guys are. The people who he wrote the letter to would know who James is. They would know who Jude is. And Jude then tells us who he wrote it to, but he doesn't give us anything specific. He just says to those who were called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. The word called means those who were called to follow Jesus. The word called is the last word in the Greek. It's the last word in that Greek sentence. It's emphatic. These are the called ones. These are the followers. They're beloved in God, who is the Father. They're kept for Jesus Christ. Both the word beloved and kept are written in such a way as they speak of the permanence. Now, this would be important when you understand the reason for this letter and why it's written. James doesn't tell us specifically who he wrote it to. Some people think he wrote it to Jews who are in Palestine, Jewish Christians. Some think he wrote it to people in other places. It really doesn't matter. But he wrote it to believers, and we're going to know later on, and we're going to see this next week when we get to verse 3 and 4, that he wrote it to people who were in a church where false teachers had come in. The false teachers had come in and began to lead these people astray. They were beginning to teach a falseness. What they were beginning to teach is simply this. That you don't have to live a certain way once you become a follower of Jesus. They were teaching that you can claim to know Jesus, you can claim to be a follower of Jesus, and you can live however you want. And Jude would come along, just like the other church fathers and the other writers of the the Bible would say, and say, no, you can't live that way. If you're truly going to be a follower of Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord, you're going to live like Jesus expects you to live. You're going to live like Jesus tells you to live. You're going to follow the example of Jesus Christ. You can't claim to be a follower of Jesus and just say, I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, which is what these guys were teaching. And this was a dangerous teaching in the church. And it's a teaching that exists today. That as long as you believe the right things, you say the right things, you do the right things, as long as that part is right, you can do whatever you want. And Jude's going to come along and say, listen, I know something about Jesus. And you can't do that. Because once you were called, you were steadfast in the love of God. And you were held fast in Christ. And that means you reflect the life of our Lord. He's going to go on then to give the greeting in verse 2. And he's going to say this, may mercy and peace and love 
be multiplied to you. The word multiply means in abundance. May you have an abundance of mercy, an abundance of peace, an abundance of love. Paul would often write grace and peace to you. But for Jude, it was something more personal to him. Because he grew up with Jesus. And he didn't believe in Jesus. He rejected the concept that Jesus was the Lord. He rejected the idea that Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection of Jesus. And so to Jude, who had rejected Christ, the concept of of mercy was important because his brother, who is now his Lord, had shown unbelievable mercy to him. He had experienced that mercy that only Christ can give. And with that mercy came peace, peace that comes to God. And with that peace, he experienced anew the full measure of love. James, I'm assuming Jude says, I want you to have an abundance of what I have. And if you have that, if you are truly a follower of Christ, it is there. And then he begins to write the body of his letter. Now, I want you just for a moment to kind of just put yourself in the place of Jude. Jude was the fourth of five brothers. And, and, and I know there are traditions out there that says, you know, Mary was always a virgin. And so these either weren't really brothers or they were older brothers from the first marriage that Joseph had. I get all that. I don't have time to go into all that. There's no, no place in the Bible. There is no place in the Gospels or Acts or any of those letters to give you any support of that. In fact, it's just the opposite. Everything you read in the New Testament, say they're just like brothers, just like you and I would have, you know, brothers and sisters and all that stuff. And so you, here you have, here you have the younger brother of Jesus. You know, and can you imagine? He's probably seven, eight years younger than Jesus, something like that. Can you imagine? Jesus is your brother, and Jesus, he never gets into trouble, ever. You ever had a sibling like that? Maybe you were that sibling, you never got into trouble. I wasn't, I guarantee you that. And maybe you were that sibling. And here's the thing, they should have gotten in trouble, right? They were always so sneaky, but they never got caught. <laughs> Problem with Jesus is he didn't deserve to get in trouble. He was always really good. He was just always a really good guy. I mean, he was nice to everybody. He was nice to the kids no one else was nice to. It was just Jesus was just this great guy, and he never got in trouble. And there was one story when Jesus was 12, and, and Luke tells about it. And you're, you're, you're Jude, and you're probably four, five, six. And y'all are down at the, at the Passover. You always go to the Passover. When they got, the whole family went. I mean, all the aunts and uncles, they all traveled down there. And at some point, they're going back, and they realize that they don't know where Jesus is. Mary and Joseph can't find Jesus. And so, oh my goodness, can you imagine the panic? You ever been panicked when you can't find one of your kids? And sometimes you realize you left them here, and we didn't want you to, but you did it anyways. You know? And so they can't, so they go back to Jerusalem and they spend three days finding Jesus. And then they see he's in the temple. And he says, What are you doing? Where'd you think I was gonna be? I was right here. Can you imagine? You're you're Jew and you're the other brothers, and you're thinking, finally, Jesus is getting in trouble. <laughs> Jesus snuck off and stayed, and he's gonna get a bust in. And if he doesn't get a bust in, he's gonna get grounded for life. And can you imagine? I, mean, I know what that's like. When I was 12, my mother quit busting me. Because it was too thick back there. It didn't do any good. So my mom started grounding ground me. And she would always, she called me by my last name because my mom got divorced when I was three and remarried. So she said, Burroughs, you are grounded for life. Any of you ever been grounded for life? Just raise your hand if you've been proud of being grounded for life. But my mother, some of you little guys look at your mom. I've met her several times. When my mom died nine years ago, I was serving like 27 life sentences, man. I mean, I was always grounded. And Jesus, come, and Jesus doesn't get in any trouble. You know what happens? His parents are saying, well, our fault. 
<laughs> you ever had your parents say, uh, oh, my fault, never had that happen in my life. Um, Mary Joseph, our fault, he was in the temple, we should have known that. That's Jesus. That's your brother. He never gets in trouble. And you close up, and then, and then, you know, at some point along the way, you know, your dad dies, and Jesus becomes the head of the family, and, and Mary comes in, and, you know, he lives with Jesus, and he's kind of the head of the whole, he's the patriarch now. And then, at one point, he gathers all his family, all his brothers, this James, Joe, and and Jude and Simon and the sisters, and the sisters probably married off, but he gets the brothers and said, guys, here's the deal. I'm leaving. I'm leaving the family business. I'm leaving the family. You guys need to take care of mom. I'm heading off. I'm like, where, 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 where are you going to? And he's like, it's time for me to start what God sent me to do. And he takes off. And he's gone. He abandons you. And get this. He didn't ever come back. Now, when he comes back in the area, he didn't ever come back to y'all. In fact, at some point, when someone mentions the brothers of Jesus and the mother of Jesus, he says, I don't have a mother and brother. You're my mother. You're my brothers. I mean, he cuts you off. Can you imagine the resentment of him walking out? And then he goes and starts this crazy ministry. I mean, he's just, you've got another cousin named John who's out in the wilderness. He's from the weird side of the family. He's John, the guy who baptizes. He, man, he's eating locusts and wild honey, and he's wearing camel hair. And he's got a belt, and he's just yelling and screaming, repent. And he's mad at the Pharisees, and he's mad at the religious leaders, and people are following. And Jesus goes to hang with the insane, crazy cousin. And you're like, what is he doing? And all of a sudden, he begins his own ministry. He begins to teach, and people start following him. Why are they following our brother? I mean, he's a good guy. Why you follow him? And then they hear rumors that he's healing people. Jesus ain't healing anybody. Do you, can you picture somebody in your family miraculously healing it? I wouldn't, there's not a soul in my family who could miraculously heal anybody. I wouldn't buy it. I wouldn't believe it. Not even the best. Actually, I am the best. But none of the others could do it. <laughs> and then he insults the Pharisees. He starts doing stuff on the Sabbath. He's saying, what? He's embarrassing our family. And now people are saying, maybe he's the Messiah. And you're saying, my brother can't possibly be the Messiah. It's too nice. The Messiah was going to come and lead an army into Jerusalem. And he was going to defeat the Romans and set up his kingdom. And my, my brother, he can't. And there's no way he could do that. And that's what you're hearing. People come saying, are, you, are you, you with Jesus? Is your brother? Do you follow him? No, 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 no. I don't have anything to do with my brother. My brother left us. In fact, John tells us in John 7 at one time, you know, John, who wrote that, is also a cousin. It's a different cousin. It's not the crazy cousin, John. It's the same cousin, John. You've got to distinguish between all the names are all the same in the Bible. Everybody's got the same name. John tells us that, that his family, his brothers came to him about six months before the time that Jesus went to die. It was the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. And they were goading Jesus. said, okay, Jesus, big brother, if you're the Messiah, if you're it, why don't you go right now to Jerusalem? And you do some miracles and you declare yourself and they'll all follow you. Because you've got to go to Jerusalem if you're going to be the Messiah. I mean, in Jerusalem, the people, they were wanting to kill Jesus. And they were saying, why don't you go to Jerusalem, Mr. Big Shot, and prove it. And Jesus said, not yet. But he'll go. And six months later, everybody in your family is headed to the Passover. And Jesus is going. And he's got a throng of people following him all along the way. And when you get to Jerusalem, you're there, and all of a sudden you hear rumors that Jesus is making this gigantic entry. So you go to see what your big brother's doing, and the 12 original apostles have him on a colt, 
and he's riding in. And the people are shouting and they're screaming, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're laying their coats down and they're proclaiming him the Messiah. And you're standing back saying, this is crazy. This is our brother. This can't be true. And then a few days later, the Romans killed Jesus. And now you're scared. Because if the Romans killed Jesus, they're probably going to think the family of Jesus was involved. The Romans are ruthless. They wipe out everybody. And now, Jesus is dead, and you're running and hiding for your life. You're really ticked at him now. Because he brought all this upon their family. And a few days later, you hear rumors that the tomb they placed Jesus in was empty. And that people, including your cousin John and your cousin James, had seen him alive. And now you don't know what to think. And you're confused. And somewhere in the midst of all of that, your brother appears to you. And you see Jesus, your brother, raised from the dead. And now you know. And you believe. And you fall on your knees. And you beg for forgiveness. And you proclaim him Lord. And your brother reaches out and touches you. And says, Judas is forgiven. All I want you to do now is go and tell people about me. And you give the rest of your life to Jesus. Your life is all about Jesus. There are a lot of people like Jude who are going to be in our church today. They know all about Jesus. They just don't know Jesus. You just don't know him. You know about him. You believe all the stuff about him. You're behind you. You do better than Judas. You believe it. Judas didn't even believe it, but you believe it, but you don't really know him. You've never trusted him. Oh, you, you believe the Bible and you believe the gospel stories and you believe the virgin birth and you, you believe the rest. You believe all of it. You know all there is to know. You just don't know him. There's some of you, like Judas, who've rejected Christ. You've just rejected Jesus. And just like Judas would, Jude would go to the to road out of curiosity at the triumphal entry to see what it's about, or Jude would, would, would come up to Jesus to kind of to look and say, okay, if you're really the Messiah, do this, do that. You're kind of like that. You kind of come and just trying to get a sense of what this is all about. But the truth of the matter is you've rejected him. Maybe at some point along the way, Jesus disappointed you. Like he disappointed you. Like when he left the family and they were disappointed. Maybe somewhere in your life you think Jesus let you down. Because that's what you thought. Maybe somewhere in your life you looked at the way people who claim to be Christians lived. And you said, ah, that's not real. They're not. If that's what Christianity is, I don't want any part of that. That's what Jude was facing in his letter. People who were living a life that was completely a lie to what it meant to be a follower of Christ. Somewhere along the line, you and Jesus are on different paths. That's what Jude was. Until he encountered the resurrected Jesus. See, that's always the secret. That's always the key. It's not what you believe about Jesus. It's not even what you know about Jesus. It's whether the Jesus of the resurrection has confronted you and you've encountered him. See, here's the thing. It's not until you encounter the resurrected Jesus that you believe in him. Because faith always follows resurrection. That's the thing you've got to be honest about Judas. A Jew, faith followed resurrection. Now, listen, you're not going to encounter Jesus the way he did or James did or Paul did. And I'm not talking about some existential, hyper-spiritual encounter. We encounter Jesus today through the reading of the Gospels. 
When we read the story of Jesus, or we read the story of Acts at the church, or we read what Paul says, or we read what Jude writes, that's how we encounter Jesus. We encounter Jesus when we come to a worship service, and, and Jesus is priest, and the Holy Spirit works in our life. That's how we come in contact. You see, you encounter the resurrected Christ differently than Jude did, but you still have to encounter him. Because faith always follows the encounter of the resurrected Christ. And when you have that encounter, your life becomes all about Jesus. And so Jude could look at these lives of these people who were sneaking into the church, he says, and going to corrupt the church and lead them down a path. And he says, you don't know Jesus. I know what it's like to know about him but not know him. Because if you know him like I know him as my Lord, then your life becomes all about Jesus. He ends this book with a beautiful doxology. Doxology is a word of praise. It's words that really maybe only one who could grow up with Jesus and not believing in Jesus could eventually ever write. Verse 24, he says this, Now to him, that is God, who is able, notice, to keep you from stumbling. God is able to keep you from stumbling, which these false teachers want you to do. To him, and he can make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. The glory of God is his holiness. God has the ability to have you stand in his glory, to keep you, to love you, he said in verse 1, to stand in his glory. To him, he says in verse 25, says this, to the only God who is our Savior. But he is our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Be the glory, be the majesty, be dominion and authority. Be all f- before all time and now and forever, forever and ever, he says, amen. To that God, who is your Savior. But he's your Savior, he says, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul says, you got to confess that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God did what? That God raised him from the dead. And you will be saved. That's what it means for him to be Lord. That your life is all about Jesus. The one you encountered because of the resurrection. The brother that Jude once rejected is now the Savior. He glorifies and serves. But Jesus is not his brother. Jesus is his Lord. And when Jesus is your Lord, you live your life that way. And the problem we're going to see over the next few weeks with the false teachers in the book of Jude is they were going to teach you can have a connection to Jesus and not have to live that way. And Jude said, no, 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 no. They don't cut it. I know. I know what it means to come to Jesus. He's not my brother. He's my Lord. And once he's your Lord, your life lives that way. You see, this is the problem in our culture today. We have this concept of Jesus that we can make him out to be whatever we want. I call this the designer Jesus. I preach messages, messages about that called the designer Jesus. I mention it several times a year. We just want to design our own Jesus. We just want to take bits and pieces about Jesus and create what we want to create. And it comes because here's what's happened. Over the last several generations, you know, some of you are Gen Zers, some of you are millennials, 
I asked the other day, what comes after Z? I'm out of, out of alphabet. And someone said double A. So the next group's going to be AA, I guess. I don't know what that is. I don't know what comes. I don't know who makes these things up. I don't know. But y'all, you've been raised to believe that there's no objective reality, that there's no absolute truth. You've been raised to believe that truth is whatever you want it to be. You've been raised to believe, and you've been taught to believe by a culture that you make your own reality. Have you ever heard that? You make your own reality? That one person's truth is truth for them and not truth for someone else? You've been taught that. And because of that, people believe that you can just take Jesus and make him whatever you want to be. And that insidious, evil mindset creeps into the Christian church. And within Christianity now, there are people who, who will teach that, that you don't have to follow Jesus. Even though Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. Even though it's pretty absolute, they say, no, no, no. Jesus, who we supposedly follow, doesn't know what he's talking about. You can come to God any way you want. Or some churches, and I've even heard in our own city, not only will they read the Bible, they'll read the Koran, or they'll read some other supposed holy religious book. As if it's equal. Because truth is whatever you want it to be. And they'll take the resurrection. And they'll say the resurrection is not a literal event like the Gospels tell us and Acts tells us and Paul tells us and Peter tells us and everybody else in the New Testament tells us. No, the resurrection is a spiritual event. And they'll create their own Jesus. And they'll make it out to be whatever they want it to be. And they do that so you can live however you want to live. The purpose of that isn't so you can believe what you want to believe. The purpose of that is so that you can do whatever you want to do and still claim to be right with God. And Jude says, no, you can't. In fact, here's what Jude would want us to know. The way you live your life or the way you live is an indication of the authenticity of your faith. I like people today say a lot, keep it real. I hear it a lot, keep it real. I don't know what that means. I know what it means when I was growing up, you say keep it real too. Every generation thinks they're the inventor of the phrase, keeping it real. You're not. My generation invented it, okay? It's copycats. Can't even come up with your own phrases. Authenticity is realness. And the way you live your life indicates the realness of your relationship with Jesus. And if your life doesn't match up. In other words, it doesn't meet the authority. It doesn't meet the truth that comes from Jesus. Jude would tell you, it ain't real. It's like this. Like Jew, you know, but not know. Like Jews, you, you, you can know, but not really know. And some of you are right, right now. You, you know all about, you know maybe what you make up, but you don't know Jesus. You don't know the resurrected Jesus. You don't know the Jesus that changes your life. You can. You can know him by trusting him. You can know him by putting your faith in him. You can know him the same way Jude did, by recognizing the resurrected Jesus is truly resurrected, is the only Lord of life. You can know that, but you don't. Here's the thing. But like Jude, you can move from one who rejects to one who follows and serves. You can move if you respond to the call of Jesus to follow him. See, here's the thing. Jesus calls you to follow him. Come follow me. You, don't, you think the first time Jesus ever called Jude and James, Simon, and Joseph to follow him was after the resurrection? Oh, man. Seriously. You really think Jude never had an opportunity before then to follow Christ? He had the opportunity everyone else did. He just rejected it. 
But God in Christ gives you a call to follow, to put your life and give it to him. And some of you need to do that. You need to do it today. You need to do it right now. You can do it. You're sitting there. You can give your life to Christ. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to trust him, the real one. Because here's the thing. When you follow, life is all about Jesus. And this is how you will know that you're a follower of Christ when your life is really all about Jesus. I know you got other interests. I got that. I know you got hobbies. I got that. I know there are things you do. I know that. I know that you, you don't spend every waking moment of your life, you know, praying that you, I, it's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about living a life that seeks to glorify God through your faith in Christ. Your life is really about what Jesus wants of your life. How he wants you to live. Who he wants you to marry. What he wants you to do. Where he wants you to go. It's all about Jesus. And so for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to see. That you tell us it's all about Jesus. For just for a moment now. Kind of just forget everything you know about Jesus. Put it aside. Put aside all the, whether you rejected him or not rejected him. Just put all that aside and ask yourself one really simple question. Is your life all about Jesus? It's a yes or no question. If it's no, maybe it's because you've never trusted him. And so now's the opportunity to give your life to Christ, to trust the resurrected Jesus to be your savior. And if you've never done that, you can do it where you're sitting or while you're watching online or on television. And maybe, you know, in a few moments when we stand here, you want to come talk to one of us about giving your life to Christ. Or, or maybe I know we have folks that out to the Welcome Center. You want to go uh, to the Welcome Center and say, hey, can I talk to one of the pastors? There's always a pastor out there. I don't know. I mean, if, where, what you need to do is you need to give your life to Christ. Some of you, you've already given your life to Jesus, but it's just not as evident as it should be, is it? Because you kind of know, yeah, I follow Christ. It just You can't always tell. Maybe it's time you get to the place where you can always tell. And maybe it's time to get to the place where you truly say, Lord, I want people to know I follow you. Put my life right where it needs to be. Some of you are dealing with false teaching. And <clears throat> maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's where you work. Maybe it's somewhere in your life. And, and I've only touched on it. I'm going to deal with it a lot more in the next few weeks. But you need to make the commitment, Christ, Christ, I'm going to fight false teaching. I'm going to fight that which is false, that which is made up. And I'm going to make sure it's the authentic Jesus, the real life that is lived. I don't know what you need to do. You want to join our church? We'd love for you to join our church. Come forward and say, hey, we want to join the church. I don't know. If we want us to pray with you, we'll pray with you. But here's what I know happening in your life. With this absolutely solid in your life, you need to say that my life, I follow Jesus. That my life is all about Jesus. So Jesus, in your name we come and we pray. And we ask that we would live our life to follow you with authenticity, a realness. Not what we make up, not what we design, not what we create, but what you call us to do. And like Jude, we experience the power of the resurrected Christ and we confess that Jesus is Lord of life. So help us now give our life to you completely to make sure our life is all about you and to leave this place today with the authentic faith We ask this in your name, and we ask this in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
that you be glorified and praised. Amen and amen. Would you stand? We'll be here at the front if you come. Become.